as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello, and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. My name is Brooke Goodyear, and I am a member of Speech Pathology Australia's Early Career Reference Group. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacey Baldeck, who is Speech Pathology Australia's Manager for Professional Standards, and Trish Johnson, who is Speech Pathology Australia's Manager of Ethics and Professional Issues. The topic for today's discussion is transdisciplinary practice. Welcome to the podcast, Stacey and Trish. It's great to have you both. Thanks, Brooke. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so I thought that a good place to start today would be uh, to provide a bit of an overview of what transdisciplinary practice looks like, as well as highlight some key differences between the transdisciplinary model and interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary approaches. Um, So the terms multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary are the terms we use to describe the degree of collaboration between team members. And so Multidisciplinary typically involves um, disciplines working alongside each other. Interdisciplinary involves uh, working with others, using your own discipline knowledge, but working with others within a team. And transdisciplinary is um, working with others, but using your discipline knowledge and then your extended knowledge and skills of another discipline. So with the multidisciplinary framework, typically a person sets goals with the clients and may have other team members involved, um, but the goal setting is discipline specific. With interdisciplinary, you have other team members involved, you're working with them. And when you're setting the goals, you're setting one plan, um, which is related to the client needs, and you work collaboratively to determine those goals. So you're still working within your professional scope of practice, but you're working with others to set those goals. Um, So with transdisciplinary practice, you're setting goals with the team and um, involving the client with that, but you're working within your scope of practice, but you're also um, moving into, there's boundary overlap with other disciplines. So you need to have knowledge of your discipline and also knowledge of other disciplines, um, skills and approaches to therapy. So in terms of um, someone coming into the profession, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary all just just describe how a team works together. In terms of new graduates working in different teams, the team dynamics will be um, designed by or determined by the needs of the client and also the organisation. But for new graduates, transdisciplinary practice is um, considered as an extended skill. And the reasons for that is that you need to have knowledge of your own scope of practice, but you also need to have knowledge and skills in another discipline area. And so that's why it's considered an extended skill. So to work in this area, you are going to require additional training, supports and supervision, and it should only be undertaken in a 
in an organisation that has a governance or a clinical governance model with supervision, training and supports in place. Yes, and further to that, Stacey, it's Trishy. I think that that can be one of the really challenging areas for early career speech pathologists to even consider conceptually, let alone work within a transdisciplinary model is, okay, I'm still getting my head around how do I do speech pathology? I have all this amazing clinical knowledge that I've just you know, learnt um, and graduated with, but actually doing speech pathology, actually being a speech pathologist is now what I'm getting used to doing. And so how do I actually take on some of those role release activities? And that's where some of the ethical issues can can be really challenging for early career members because they are not sure exactly how to do it. So your comment about the need to undertake a transdisciplinary uh, role only within an organisation that has really thought about governance, training, support and uh, making sure that the all of the transdisciplinary workers are really clear about what they're doing. Thank you both for sharing those insights. Uh, I think it's really valuable for us as new or early career speeches to hear about a little bit more about transdisciplinary practice. I know myself, I heard the terms and we learned about them briefly in in our uni degree, but it, sometimes we don't get the experience in our clinical placements to actually work within those models. So thank you for providing that overview. My next question is, what would be the best context for implementing transdisciplinary practice within the scope of speech pathology? Sure, I'm happy to answer that question, Brooke. In terms of the best context, uh, transdisciplinary practice requires a specific structure around that, and it really needs to be aligned with um, what the client needs and goals are. So I'm aware that you know some organisations work in a multidisciplinary framework, some work in an interprofessional, some work in a transdisciplinary framework, but the team approach used um, needs to be selected based upon the client needs. So client needs and also the evidence base. There is an emerging evidence base in terms of the benefits of transdisciplinary practice in some areas, especially around early intervention. However, it's not just one model fits all clients. So those, you know, we need to make clinical decisions about what's best for the client in that context um, and what's best with, you know, what's best for the client with the available resources as well. I think that's also really valuable because uh, as a new grad, we sometimes are so focused on learning everything that we need to learn and do and sometimes taking that step back and thinking about what's best for the client and how our practice fits within that is really important to consider. So thank you for answering that. My next question is, what are some common ethical issues that speech pathologists face when working in a transdisciplinary role? Well, I'll probably take that one then. Uh, It's Trish again. Uh, In terms of the transdisciplinary role, I think, uh, apart from what I commented on earlier, a big uh, issue that early career speech pathologists and even more experienced speech pathologists face when they're entering into uh, providing work within a transdisciplinary model for the first time is how does that delegation work? How do uh, the systems and procedures support understanding who does what? So is it that uh, the speech pathologist, for example, will always do the formal language assessments, but uh, other members of the transdisciplinary team will undertake some of the therapeutic activities that are a result of developing the goals for that client after the assessment. So I think having really clear communication about 
who will be undertaking what particular activities with the client is vital to supporting everyone to have clarity around how the transdisciplinary model is going to work with the clients. Additionally, when we're considering undertaking work within a transdisciplinary model, we really have to be clear about the training and support that we have as allied health professionals and speech pathologists, so that if we are delegating some speech pathology activities to another allied health professional, how are we going to make sure they understand exactly what's needed, exactly how to undertake that work, uh, what sort of um, responses to look out for, how to, to change what we're do- they're doing with the client, uh, which is our professional knowledge, but we are, as Stacey said, the role release means that another allied health professional is undertaking that. And similarly, if we're undertaking work that um, may sit outside our speech pathology scope of practice, do we have enough information about how to do that? Do we have support? Can we go back and ask questions? Can we um, have uh, written information that will support us when we're actually in the room with the client so we don't have to run out the door and go and ask a question then? Um, It's appropriate to find out about all of these things before you start working with the client. Always easier to do that than sit in a session and think, oh, I forgot to ask or I'm not really sure how to do this. So preparation is really key. In terms of other ethical issues that come up, scope of practice obviously is, is an issue that we need to think about when we're working in a transdisciplinary model, mainly because we still hold the professional skills and knowledge and attributes of speech pathology profession, but we will be undertaking some role release activities that uh, sit within another professional scope of practice. So it's always really important to be clear about what I'm doing that is speech pathology and what I'm doing that may sit outside scope of practice for a speech pathologist. The other key ethical issue that I think is worth mentioning in this podcast, again, is, is to reiterate the the reliance on clear communication. So clear planning, clear communication uh, channels while we're undertaking work with a client, and then also clear communication after a session, for example, to provide feedback, to receive more information about where to next. But also if we identify something that's come up in a session that wasn't necessarily anticipated, or even if it was anticipated, um, how do we then hand back to the uh, the right person in the team. So for example, if there's an issue with mobility that comes up, who do we actually take that back to and how does that work within the organisation? They're the, they're the key ethical questions that come up, um, as I said, not just from early career speech pathologists, but from experienced speech pathologists as well, because they're ethical issues that we need to plan for and be proactive about rather than responding if things start to go a bit awry. Trish, I really agree with what you said, especially in regards to the preparation. I feel even as a speechy who is working primarily just within my scope at the moment, um, there's so much that I'm thinking about and considering before even walking into a session. So I can imagine that in a transdisciplinary setting, that would be way more so because you're considering everything within your own scope as well as everyone else who's involved in the team whose strategies may may be used in your own session with the client. And that's not to say that it's insurmountable and, and mm. too difficult. It's really something that speech pathologists have the skill set to undertake. Um, it's just a matter of planning and, and being aware of what to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. 
And as a, as a follow-up to that previous question, how do speech pathologists generally get employed within a transdisciplinary role? Is it generally within an organization or can it be across multiple different organizations that are taking on this model? I'll start with that question. Thanks, Brooke. Uh, and Stacey can add to it as well. My understanding is that for the majority of contexts, uh, an organisation will implement a transdisciplinary model of service delivery, and so it's within the one organisation. So you might get, you might apply for and be successful in um, being employed as a transdisciplinary worker within an organisation. It's not common, and I must admit I haven't heard of individual allied health professionals who are working individually with a client banding together and saying, right, well, let's, let's do a transdisciplinary model. It's usually within an organisation. Stacey, did you have anything else to add on that? I would just say I would agree in terms of the concept of clinical governance. So an organisation has to be responsible um, for ensuring it has appropriate um, systems and processes, including supervision and ability to monitor accountability, typically sits within an organisational context and not across organisations, given that they'll have different processes. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, my final question for today is, what should early career speech pathologists consider when they're beginning to engage in a transdisciplinary model? So a transdisciplinary model, as I've mentioned before, is considered to be extended scope of practice. And so to work in an extended area, especially in this area, firstly, a speech pathologist needs um, sound knowledge in terms of their own professional scope of practice and also a sound knowledge of other areas, other disciplines, scope of practice. So it's not for early careers, uh, early career uh, speech pathologists, but to transition into that, a good sense of your own scope of practice, an understanding of other professional disciplines, and then you'll need to learn from those other disciplines in terms of specific um, knowledge and skills and approaches that they, that they need to utilise in, in that space. So it is a transition. It's not to say you can't move into that space um, early on in your career, but it's going to require a level of um, dedication to improve your competence and your knowledge and skills in that area. Yes, and uh, as I said before, it's working in a transdisciplinary model is a different way of working than uh, what a lot of early career speech pathologists have been exposed to in their training. Uh, but it, it includes use of, or involves use of generic professional competencies, which we all have, uh, so it's not something to necessarily shy away from, but it just takes a little bit of thought and preparation and, as Stacey said, making sure that you have confidence in understanding where speech pathology scope of practice does sit because you need that to identify, okay, when am I acting outside of scope and, and how does that work? So it's something that is a model of practice that we can engage with. Early career speech pathologists might need a bit more support to undertake that um, but once everyone has experience then it's something that speech pathologists can do. Great thank you both for such insightful answers on that I think that many early career speeches that might be listening to this will find that reassuring especially if they have a passion for working in that setting or are really looking forward to it knowing that we can do it we just need to make sure that we have the appropriate supports and uh, preparation in place to be able to do so. So thank you both so much for your time today, Stacey and Trish. It's been really great to hear your insights and learn from your experiences in transdisciplinary practice within the scope of speech pathology. I'll also mention that the information we discussed today can also be found on the Speech Pathology Australia website under SPA's position statements. 
And as well, if you do have any specific queries, you can contact the National Office for more information. Please tune in again next Wednesday for next week's episode. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.